You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast, and uh, you'll hear it in my voice throughout the show. I am uh, excited to talk to Kenneth Nicholson, um, uh, quite quite the painter, and I'll tell you right off the bat, uh, thinker, and uh, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, film, a little bit about music, a bunch about painting and art. Kenneth, welcome to the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, quite, quite the pleasure. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you right off the bat. Uh, you, you've done done various things around the arts. You teach, you paint, all that type of thing. When did you see yourself as an artist? Was the type of thing you like? Hey, you know, when you're a little kid, or did something happen one day where you're like, "This is who I am." Oh, I think it was it was definitely early on. I think uh, gravitating towards a drawing. My parents used to uh, buy me magna doodles, which I'm not even sure is a thing anymore. But I used to wear those. I hope they are. I hope. I know they they were like awesome, and I think as a kid, kind of like getting into that groove of not only being interested in art, but then I think over the years, as I started growing up, kind of coming to this realization that it was like one of the things that I was actually invested in and if i wanted to kind of move outside of a regular nine to five which made me really miserable for like uh, a lot of my 20s and whatnot uh, then i kind of had to find a way to kind of embrace like those skills or those interests that i had been involved with so since i was younger yeah yeah, and um, I, I think that there's since there's a bunch of things to talk to you about art wise, but I just wanted to kind of give you like, um, and, and uh, I won't be able to describe this particularly well, but I'm going to give it a shot. Um, in your paintings, uh, uh, they're amazing. They're amazing painting paintings. But one of the main things for me as as a thinker that I love about them is that there's these pieces and there's this tone and it, it provokes thought immediately about um, bodies in space. And, you know, I, it, it's just immediate. Um, the feeling of the room, the feeling of the amount of light that's in there. And, and I'm just uh, pulled, pulled right in. Uh, I know when you're talking about, um, your art. I've heard you talk about your art a bit um, in about the notion of, of bodies in some aspects of displacement. Um, what, what can you describe what, what, what you're trying to do with your paintings or am I on, am I on target about how you're playing with bodies and no, yeah. No, absolutely. You, you had a podcast episode, a few a few episodes back with someone and, and one of the first things that you were talking about with the artist and the names escaping me was this idea of burnout. And from yeah. that, I, how Susie burnout, DeVille might've been Susie DeVille. Uh, yeah. From that kind of sense of burnout was a, a great deal of like possibility and kind of creativity came from that. When I, I've always been interested in, in the figure 
but as it I think starts for a lot of people kind of in that traditional sense of like the tableau and kind of working from life, working from different um, kind of like setting up different situations or uh, images. And that's how I worked for the longest time, I think throughout graduate school. And even though I always kind of moved into maybe more like melodramatic or maybe more, um, kind of expressive areas. I, after graduate school, found that I was becoming like really, really burnt out with that type of painting, which was like really jarring for me because it was kind of like the the one style of art that I always found spoke to me the most. And now it wasn't really speaking to me at all after I've just finished (laughs) an extra two years of school. So I started to kind of indulge in the things that I was just interested in outside of what was considered like, I guess, professional art making or like academic art making that I'd kind of dive back into the different films that I loved or how I would kind of collect different like album covers or be interested in things like like anatomy or old medical. Were you most excited? You were most excited by those things. Like you went back towards like, whether it's the album cover and the movies, like, that that was your zone, right? Absolutely. And I think that yeah. zone is like really important that it was like kind of just going back to what I enjoyed for the simple fact that I enjoyed it. That yeah. There was really no thesis behind it or anything like that. And then as I kind of just steeped myself back in that kind of subject matter or those images, I started kind of working with these ideas of collage. A lot of times like I was teaching about like burrows and the cut-up method in the experimental film courses that I had. And I found that was like such a great way to introduce play back into my studio practice because it was gone for the longest time. Studio, like working in the studio became like a big, like a hassle. And that's like the worst thing for, I think in terms of like killing creativity or turning painting into the job that I didn't want in the first place. So dealing with those different ideas, finding ways to introduce the absurd or taking all of these kind of disparate elements uh, of the body, especially, but finding ways to combine different elements that might not make sense uh, like on paper, or if you're kind of like introducing the ideas, um, in terms of like trying to explain what is going on in the image. But as you, what I think means a lot to me is as you said about like looking at the image and taking a bit of time with it, uh, some of those different rabbit holes almost seem to open up in terms of different like associations or suggestions by the kind of collision of two different limbs or different elements of, of the body. And I found that really reignited how I approached painting and just making art in general. Um, or we had talked a little bit, I think, over email about how like different forms of art influenced. Yeah, us. yeah, yeah, yeah. Music. I was, I was going to yell, I was a couple times talking, I was going to yell at him like, what, what, uh, what music's in the background? What's in music's in the background of painting? I heard an interview with you, Kenneth, I got to tell you, um, 
you mentioned uh, Mr. Bungle. Oh, good Lord. And what I love about Mr. Bungle, my name's Ken Volante. They have an album, Disco Volante. So, yeah. uh, hey, I love Mr. Bungle to begin with, Faith No More. I got to tell you one thing about Mr. Bungle. I was at a show in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a place called The Rave, and they opened up this weird basement area. It had three stages. The place was enormous. And they opened up this downstairs, which uh, I'll just say out loud, I think wasn't proper or under regulation or legal or anything. And Mr. Bungle played in August in that that basement, a wild show, of course. I will tell you, without any exaggeration, I believe the temperature in that place was at least 100 to 110 degrees inside. And so anytime I've talked to anybody about Mr. Bungle or shows of Mr. Bungle, I hear the wildest things. So anyways, not to throw all that Mr. Bungle in there, but uh, I think that's uh, perfect. Talk, yeah, talk about the music. Talk about what you're thinking about the music and, and what you inhabit or what's there. What a perfect way to listen to that music where you're in an almost fever state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyways. I think what that has to kind of like induce for me, Mr. Bungle was like one of my first introductions to jazz, whether or not I knew it at the time. Of that. <laughs> like, it was like a kind of jazz fusion take before I was really introduced to jazz at all. So for me, Mr. Bungle was such a great introduction to experimental music making and, and the avant-garde music making like approaches. But there was one, on the first song on uh, their first full length album, the song quote unquote, which was called Travolta. I think he threatened to sue them. Um, I listened to that song so many times and and I loved it. And then I was was going through the lyrics and there's the all behold the spectacle, uh, fleshly, fleshy, limbless rectangle. And this is a story basically just about this person like lacking limbs and without eyesight and without hearing and how this individual is trying to communicate to you through the song or communicate to these people it was just like at the time all these different aspects of like Cronenberg and this kind of like theatrical atmosphere that I just never I had never heard before and it was just me kind of going through the rabbit hole of listening yeah. to all the faith no more that I could. So try to find some more Mike Patton things that would be new to me. And I think that that line especially has stuck out with me as I've been doing so much work. The, I have a show coming up, uh, still getting down the dates between either January or February at stopwatch gallery in Greensburg. And the title that, that kind of keeps ringing true is fleshy limb filled rectangles because as I've been working and kind of like creating this series of sometimes I'll call them just like my limb paintings. um, That's kind of the ideal is to have like a, a gallery or a space filled with these fleshy limb filled rectangles. Wow. I, uh, yeah, that's, I, I, I'd um, heard that quote and I, I love, I, I love, how you talk about it immediately made me made me think just in my uh, unique experience one more bit about the Mr. Bungle cover the of their first album. The reason why it stuck out to me at that time, I was uh, pretty obsessed with the comic series called uh, Beautiful Stories for Ugly Children. 
And that independent series was kind of like wild stories and sing, and simple uh, drawings and paintings within it, kind of a almost like a small comic book, picture book type of thing in bizarre stories. And the artists who did that did their first cover there. So I was actually drawn visually to Mr. Bungle, not knowing what it was from comic books. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just a weird little, weird little thing there. But I think, man, that's also one of my favorite things about kind of going through the rabbit hole of like a certain obsession or like a certain thing that you're interested in and, and kind of going back to feeling burnout in my studio practice. That's what I was kind of looking for again. Like where you find like a certain artist or like a comic series or like an, a set of album covers. For me, when I growing up, um, it was like so different at the time. So like growing up in like the kind of like the 90s and like the 2000s where like going and physically getting a CD or an album, uh, the cover art meant so much more because there's you were m- much more inclined, I think, to buy an album based off of the of nothing else but the image that was kind of calling out to you. Yeah. And there was a band called Carcass that I loved. And it was through those album covers that seemed they were just basically collages of uh, medical textbook images. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And if like down like at the local mall, like you could get the album, but it usually had like a slip cover of something else. But you could (laughs) you could see the other like cover underneath of it. So it was like, how enticing (laughs) is that? to kind of see like those yeah. different elements of the whole band is basically making up lyrics that are just kind of cut and paste, almost like Dada poems of just medical terminology. Incredible. And when you would like listen to them talk about their albums. They would sometimes argue about what the song was about because no one really knew the like, lyrics didn't weren't really kind of pointing to anything specific but each member yeah. of the band had a different idea of what the album i think the the one album um necrotism discanting the insalurebus or something it just i watched the drummer and the singer kind of argue about what that meant <laughs> they yeah. for the like 20 years had a different idea. Like, that's of what not that what you told me. It meant when we, when we were drinking that whiskey that yeah. night, you said it meant something else. You said it. Was- <laughs> but I was like, I think that kind of like detachment from there having to be a one particular reading of this yeah. or that um, still that like element of play that they were very interested in this kind of like s- subversive imagery and kind of like, subject matter for what they were working on and and that was like the the fuel for what they were doing yeah and i i've always kind of like going back to those yeah and i i appreciate you mentioned the the covers i had the experience just recently uh with with my son and it was kind of like interacting what you said like the physical media i have one of my vehicles just has cds and i like it that i can just use cds there because i still use my cds for that vehicle and um He's he's a, a polite young man, and he says PFP, which is porno for pyros. I always just said porno for pyros, but it's mm-hmm. more proper. Say PFP, and um, he was able to 
see the the dang thing that I got 30 years ago, like, you know, the, you know, just like albums or something, you know, where you get the, the art on the front and he's just looking at it. He says, this is like the regular one. Yeah. When it first came out, this is what it was. And it was just, it was kind of enraptured by it. And I'm like, wow, that's, uh, you know, I'm just watching it, you know, it's pretty cool. It's so different to hold it, to like yeah. sit and to like come home for the first time holding like Iron Maiden's uh, Killers or like the, the first Danzig album. I used to kind of just sit and yes. look at the cover of it, the uh, kind of that graphic um, kind of like demon, kind of like uh, almost like a print. I'm not even really sure. What. Yeah, no, it's just black, black and white. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it was just like, that's what used to fuel my art making before it was like, a job <laughs> or like homework. It was just kind of sitting and seeing if I could like reproduce one of those images. And I think that's really easy to forget, like why we get into like work. You had, you had asked me on like the email about like, when did I see myself as an artist? And then just like, you kind of keep going, like unfolding back through the years and thinking about all the different just experiences of kind of being immersed in yeah, art when when were scene. you an artist and what you were doing or you didn't see yourself but you were and what you were doing and I, I that that um that reflective piece speaking of reflection uh need to hit you with a big question uh speaking with Kenneth Nicholson here and the question for him is what is art so this comes up a bunch. And so I teach a lot of college courses, but when I'm teaching like 2D design or like drawing or painting one, this comes up quite a bit in terms of trying to, especially within 2D design, so much of what we're doing is related to problem solving and trying to have them really cultivate certain critical thinking skills. I think art at its base <laughs> core, like the starting point, yeah. is this way of self-expression. And I think that's something that we can all, like, all agree with within the class. But for me, what's important is finding, or what's more helpful, I guess, for me, is finding other reasons for making art or kind of even going a little bit further. Um, the last podcast you had, the last episode, was talking about ways to heal. Yeah. and art as like a kind of healing mechanism. And I think that's becoming more and more important as we've become like so much more attuned to talking about things like uh, mental health. And yeah. things like that. I, for me, like drawing as a way to either calm down or kind of zone out, which is itself, I think, like a, way of healing um, yeah yeah that kind of like dissociation that for me yeah. was like really a lot of times when i found myself kind of just drawing almost compulsively but as i kind of like work my way through like teaching and finding different ways to kind of incorporate art into my career i think art is a great vehicle for problem solving and and making decisions and kind of taking those elements of self-reflection and finding a way to like, utilize them like in everyday life. 
Yeah, I, I, I've heard the expression at times, and I, I just picked up when you said as far as problem solving, which sounds just not as stimulating because you, you, you don't think you're solving problems, but uh, all the different ways you are reconciling and or healing or, or solving problems, whether it's whether it's compulsion to do to go into that activity for this amount of time to get it out or whether it's to go through the process and inhabit it more and more slowly, however you do it. Um, I think that's, what's exciting uh, to me, to me about art and um, where I've learned about over the years, um, not having formal training so much within the arts, but just uh, self-study in um, uh, conversations with, with artists. We talked a bit about art in the the context and various ways. Um, terms of healing and and its its role in kind of helping us as as humans but i want to ask about the role like the role of art what do you think the role of art uh is for us and has it changed if, if the world feels different in 2022 right now is 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 the role of art changed um in your opinion oh absolutely i think the role of art throughout history always seems to change whether it be artists as like communicator or artists as a storyteller, artists as shaman, artists as craftsperson. And then as we kind of like go through all of these different like unfoldings or other machinations, I'm not sure at the moment like what the role of the artist is in terms of having just like one singular purpose. I think one of the interesting things about looking at art currently how absolutely scattered the definition is and how gray and blurred some of the lines have become, which for me makes it all the more exciting when we kind of see that fine art, graphic design, art therapy, um, media, uh, like social media, especially like, man, there's, I think more than ever before, way way fewer distinctions between what counts as what and i think that's really disturbing when i like which makes i think a lot of sense but i also think it's nothing new i think as times develop the role of the artist always has to either also develop or keep up or kind of like mutate with it and i think if like the role of the artist is really slippery or kind of like fuzzy. I think that says a lot about the time. Yeah. One of the things yeah. that you I've heard so much over the last couple of years is how, especially throughout the pandemic, the arts have been kind of uh, gutted financially in terms of like budgets in a lot of schools and a lot of places. But one of the things that helped keep us sane <laughs> throughout the pandemic was the arts that was one of the things in terms of like recreating works from museums and posting those or kind of zoning out to uh, films or tv shows uh there's this kind of like dual there's like a dependency we have on art but uh, this lack of wanting to respect it as being yeah as, as it is for all of us um so yeah i think if there, if there was one particular role that artists play at the moment, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what that even would 
be in terms of like a definition. Well, but I think I heard in what you're saying, which I think brings an important dynamic is that the, you know, the role, you know, might uh, reflecting the times or what, what, what needs there are from people and what their relationship is with creativity and art as a culture, you know, if it's celebrated in forefront, then it's going to feel different than when you have to fight for your space, you know, no matter what. So the, where it stands in, in culture, Hey, uh, before I ask you why there's something rather than nothing, have a different uh, thing, a question. Uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of the movie, The Thing, and I've heard you talk about it. And uh, maybe the question is, why is The Thing so great? Why is John Carpenter's th- The Thing so great of a movie? And there, I think there are a lot of reasons why that movie is so, for me, memorable uh, and so wonderful. As we kind of, <laughs> one of the things that seems to always come up when people talk about why there hasn't been another movie like the thing in so long, I think when we listen to like the commentary for that film, which I always have film commentaries going on in the background of the studio, because more so than music, like podcasts and commentaries help me kind of drift off into whatever I'm doing much more easily. Yeah. But throughout that film, they really didn't have a lot of like, supervision I think there was like a lot of like dangerous uh, like workplace situations with special <laughs> effects and just like no one really was, I don't think really managing them because of locations of where they were. Uh-huh. But I also think just with John Carpenter, he was always open to, I think chasing his own inspirations in terms of the films that he loved and the kind of experience in the movies that he wanted to make. If you watch a lot of like, there's a really wonderful interview on YouTube somewhere of Cronenberg, John Carpenter, and, um, oh, uh, the director that did American Werewolf in London for some reason. Landis. Yeah, absolutely. So it's so interesting to see Carpenter's kind of own, perspective at around that time of like what experience he wanted for the audience. And it always seems like he wanted something that was just out of grasp. And I think that's why in that period of time, those movies of his were so inventive because he was ambitious, not in terms of like being popular. He wasn't really ambitious in terms of like, let's make the most amount of money. But with, there's like especially earlier set of films of his it was just this kind of like ambition to make a film that for him kind of like stacked up to his ideals of what a a great film should be and he kind of chased that dragon throughout that whole period of time i think with the thing he also had a lot of people that he kind of gave creative leeway to and I think that kind of helped everything kind of blossom all the more. You have all these wonderful actors. From what I remember, this uh, special effects department were fairly like like newcomers in a way that had a yeah. lot to prove. And I, if I'm remembering that correctly, so it's like you get this sense of all of this possibility that opens potential, up by potential, work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Art, art, like art studio potential in spots. 
yeah, it's like the first week of like a new school when the semester starts and it's like, and it's kind of like a, um, there's like a, an electricity like in the air because yeah, everyone's yeah. kind of like excited to get started. Um, that's the one thing. That's what I think of why that movie's, I think the subject matter is always going to be intriguing. I think how it kind of throughout time we've thought of that movie as meaning or like being a stand-in for different things, like whether like different diseases or. Yeah. Like virus or imposters or body switching. It's something that you can always kind of find a way to, to um, kind of connect to like, current events somehow somehow with that movie for as kind of outlandish and as sci-fi as it is it's still so rooted in things like paranoia which never go away (laughs) we always feel like as a like a society or like group of societies to kind of just be at odds with um, the what ifs kind of like working with each other and that movie for as many times as i see it um it's just like an incredibly fun ride in being incredibly uncomfortable at the same time. Yeah. I love that. Oh, what a great description. And, 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 uh, you know, it's kind of capturing the energy around it. Uh, Hey everybody, Kenneth Nicholson on the thing on something rather than nothing. Speaking of which moving to the next question, Kenneth, why I ask it now, why is there something rather than nothing? But it's come up too where people want it asked. How is there something rather than nothing? I give you either one of those, which I don't know if I've done before for approach, but uh, what's the deal? I would say why there's something rather than nothing because there's possibility when we have something. There's like more room to have options. I think one of the things that I kind of talk about in class is like when we go throughout history and kind of like learn from other art movements or learn from other artists, we see that like they oftentimes have these choices on having like a kind of creative reaction to something versus like a destructive reaction to something. Uh We're talking about the Bauhaus in my 2D design class. I say what made them so dangerous at the time and why they were shut down was because they were making creative choices to kind of move forward, like with what they were kind of being like the kind of cards that they were given at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think if you choose the creative option, that is always going to give you more to work with when you have something rather than nothing, then there is a, uh, sense of possibility and i think that's better than than anything to actually have an option of two different directions to move from that's like the artist's ideal yeah i really appreciate that and certainly um certainly thought-provoking i find that the answers i've been thinking about in terms when we're talking about art and creativity, which is a different context for asking this question, really kind of 
digs into creativity and something in how we form things for others, you know, fundamentally. And, uh, man, I really, I really, uh, really enjoyed uh, talking with you, but before we let you go, uh, Kenneth, um, tell, tell the listeners where they find, find your work. Uh, you know, like I said, your marvelous paintings, everybody, you know, go, go see for yourself. Um, tell them how they do that, Kenneth. Thank you very much. Uh, I am most active on Instagram. The username Grossferatu with three S's. Great. Uh, you can find my artwork on kennethnicholsonart.com. On Instagram, it's mostly works in progress and things like that. But the finished pieces always end up on the website. Yeah. Hey, um, uh, just been just been a great pleasure to talk to you about uh you know a few different things and i can see what we're when we're talking about um uh, and i'd love to talk to you again just i, I it, the, the pieces where you know where the art's slipping from one form to the other you know and and i really picked up on what you're saying about as far as how you know seeing album covers i i think some about uh i might have indulge myself in the same area very much with comic books and sequence and comic book covers. And when you were talking about the records, which I love records as well. Um, I realized there's so much overlap in thinking about what the visual presentation of that audio thing is with an Absolutely. album. So it's like I, a, I love that. It's an oddly lost art. I think like we get, we get DVD covers and we have album art, Man, it is. I don't think it carries the same weight for the for who picks up the art as as it used to. Um, I think like video stores are always something I think back to being so always feeling like incredibly safe in <laughs> like a video store or like a rental shop as well. And I like those places don't really exist in the same capacity as they as they used to yeah yeah i uh i uh it's 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 a great it's a great topic and i i i have I've enjoyed talking to you with kenneth um great pleasure thank you thank you for your art and um everybody uh check out check out kenneth's art uh if you haven't seen the thing uh, go watch the thing we're recording this in october october is a great month uh, to watch the thing, uh, beautiful stories for ugly children. If you can find those out of print uh, copies, uh, Mr. Bungles, everything. So, uh, thank you, Kenneth, and uh, hope to chat with you again soon. Thank you very much for having me. All right, take care. This is something rather than nothing. 